Have you struggled with forgiveness, at least sometimes? Have you had a difficult time forgiving yourself or someone else? Have you sensed that someone was having a hard time forgiving you? Experiencing forgiveness feels good and liberating and restoring. But feeling unforgiven leaves us in pain, feeling wounded, stuck, and isolated. I can't imagine that during this pandemic or the upcoming presidential election that we will need to be less forgiving. You may be in a situation right now where you're struggling with a precious relationship where you want to move forward and forgive or be forgiven, but you feel stuck. Jesus' teachings and example about forgiveness are both encouraging and daunting. He taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He taught us that those who forgive should hope to be forgiven, but those who refuse to forgive should not hope to be forgiven. He modeled for us what it is like to forgive in daily interactions, but also in unthinkable persecution. Is it possible to truly forgive? Is it realistic to think that we could be fully forgiven? Is there a way to grow in forgiveness so that we might become forgiving in all our relationships? We know that forgiveness is the key to strengthening relationships, but it is also essential to healing wounded relationships and restoring those that are broken. We are blessed to have as our guest on the Love First podcast, Dr. Everett Worthington. He is Professor Emeritus of Psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University and a world-renowned researcher in forgiveness. Dr. Worthington has authored more than 30 books and 350 scholarly articles on forgiveness and is currently involved in forgiveness projects around the world. Everett was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he attended the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, where he got his undergraduate degree in nuclear engineering. After earning his master's in degree in nuclear engineering at MIT, he served in active duty in the U.S. Navy as a naval officer for four years teaching at the Naval Nuclear Power School. But it was during this time that he came to his personal faith in Jesus Christ and this shifted his future. He felt called to prepare for a new mission. He went back to school. He earned his master's and PhD in psychology from the University of Missouri, and he has devoted the rest of his life to understanding forgiveness and helping others grow to become forgiving people. We are so excited that you have joined us for the Love First podcast, where this week and next, we will be talking with Dr. Worthington about forgiveness. If this is your first time to join us, thank you. Our purpose at the Love First podcast is to catalyze courageous conversations that revolutionize the way we love each other. And this will certainly be one of those courageous revolutionary conversations. If you are returning and you have been supporting the Love First podcast, thank you so much. Thank you for liking, subscribing, and sharing. And let's get started in this conversation about forgiveness. Love first, I know. Love first, I know. Lord.
As I mentioned, uh, Dr. Ed with us today, and we're so excited to have him in our conversation. Now, I, I feel a little bit awkward not referring to him as Dr. Worthington, so I reached out and asked him uh, what would be appropriate, and he said, most people call me Ev, and so that's how we're So, Ev, welcome. Thank you so much for joining the Love First uh, podcast. Um, I want to begin by just asking you, would you take a moment and introduce yourself? Uh, to our uh, listeners and those that have joined us for the podcast, a little bit about your work and, and how you came to focus on forgiveness. Uh-huh. Um, well, I uh, was a professor of psychology and in counseling psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University. That's uh, Virginia's largest state university. And I uh, worked there for 40 years and about three years ago retired. So, uh, it, or as I say on my email, my uh, salary retired at that moment, but uh, <laughs> it didn't really change much what I do. Uh, so uh, I started out uh, there and uh, <clears throat> was trying to get licensed and so uh, as a clinical psychologist in Virginia, and so I uh, saw couples mm-hmm. and I uh, had a part-time private practice for about uh, 10 years in which I saw uh, nothing but couples. Well, of course, as soon as you start <laughs> dealing with couples who are coming to a therapist, uh, you're going to have forgiveness issues. And so that became uh, really something that was central to almost every case that, uh, that I saw. Uh, so <clears throat> about, I guess, 1986 or so, about halfway through that uh, period, uh, I was supervising a, uh, a, a young man named Don Dancer, Don went on to be a longtime private practice uh, provider, uh, but uh, Don was seeing a couple, and uh, he had, you know, the, the couple wasn't getting any better. Mm. And so I said, Don, you know what, you know why, what, what's up? And and he said, well, you know, says we've taught them all of the things in your hope focused approach, uh, which is an approach to couple counseling that uh, that I created. He says. We've taught them about how to resolve conflicts and how to, you know, communicate better and how to generate more intimacy. The problem is they just hate each other. They've they've got all these hurts that have built up over the course of their relationship. And and so they just can't get past the hurts. Mm. it, It seems like we ought to make up some kind of intervention to help them forgive. Wow. Now, this is a state university in the 1980s, and I can remember Don's eyes got real big, you know, and he goes, can, can we do that in a state university? And I said, sure, we can do that. We won't tell anybody, but you know, we'll, we'll do it. And, uh, you know, so we sat in the uh, supervision session and made up a, a brief intervention, and he tried it, and it worked very well. And, uh, you know, I was... Um, uh, supervising Fred de Blasio, who uh, was a longtime 
on a social worker, but psychotherapist up in the Maryland area. And, uh, you know, Fred was at that time on the faculty of VCU. And so I was supervising a Christian counseling agency that he directed. And he liked that intervention. So he started doing it. He started teaching his, uh, you know, the people that, uh, that he was supervising and that I was giving cl clinical supervision for. So that's really where this came from. It, it came out of my Christian values and beliefs and, uh, and then put into practice in the, the practice of psychotherapy or couple therapy. And, uh, and then in 1990, I started to study it, uh, it with a scientific eye toward it. And uh, that was because one of my graduate students, again, made me do it. Uh, this was uh, Mike McCullough. And uh, Mike wanted to study forgiveness. Uh, he was a new graduate student at that point. And I had not studied it scientifically. So I thought, well, what the hey? So, uh, you know. It, what would happen is he would come after spending hours in the library. That was back when you had to go to the library. You couldn't just trot it up on your phone, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. he would spend hours looking for these obscure journal articles on forgiveness. And then he would come and he would, he would describe them to me. And I would sit there as the professor and stroke my beard in a very wise looking way, not understanding really anything. There, you know, <laughs> nod at the appropriate time and grunt at the appropriate time and anyway then as soon as he finished and left I was over at the library trying to look those articles up so that I could keep up with this bright graduate student so so really uh, Mike and Steve Sandage who followed directly after him and then Jennifer Ripley who's a professor down at Regent University Steve is at Boston University so those uh, uh, Christian graduate students really uh, led me into studying this in a in a scientific way. So that's kind of the the deep background yes. uh, of all of this. And I really appreciate that because, I, just to be transparent, I don't often put forgiveness and science, you know, on the same table and lay them together. I might lay them side by side and compare and contrast, but you've done something, colleagues have done something very different. And in several of the journal uh, articles and peer reviewed articles that I read, uh, there's been a lot of science put into this. And uh, some of the things that you articulate, that this directly impacts health, it impacts society. And, and all of these are scientifically quantified so what I thought might be really helpful is could you take a few moments and just share a little bit how we could start thinking about what is forgiveness? What is it? Yeah, uh, I, I think the place that we usually start is to think about how we uh, – just daily experience injustices against us. And some of those injustices are very, are trivial. You know, somebody bumps us in the street and, you know, we maybe give them a bad look, but really by the time we've taken 10 steps, we've forgotten all about it. Mm -hmm. 
and then others are are profound you know they're they're lasting hurts that people have done we think maybe mm -hmm. on purpose and uh you know so they're um you know just really hard to deal with mm -hmm. so what we did was we uh figured out that um the uh difficulty the difficulty in uh, forgiving or in dealing with these injustices is proportional to the size of the injustice. Mm. All that the injustice gap, and mm. so basically, what happens when we experience a, a, a transgression against us or an injustice? We we kind of start our mental computer uh, grinding away, and and we go, well, it's just a big gap. Mm. And then as things happen, we adjust the size of the the net amount of injustice. So if, for example, the person says, um, you know, um, I, I didn't hurt you. Uh, this is all your fault. You're really the one to blame. You hurt me. Well, you know, my sense of injustice then really grows. Yeah. In that so, so I'm adjusting the size of that injustice gap. If the person is not willing to take responsibility, is not willing to apologize, is not willing to confess that, that they did something that might have hurt me. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if the person uh, does take responsibility, does apologize in a sincere, remorseful way, uh, you know, all of those things narrow that injustice mm -hmm. gap and make it easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, notice that I'm not really saying make it easier to forgive because there are a lot of different ways that people can deal with injustices mm -hmm. and, uh, and forgiveness is one of those ways. So what are, what are some ways that, uh, I think that would seem surprising, you know, if I've got that injustice gap and, I gotta, I gotta do something to address it. I think, especially from a Christian point of view, we might think that forgiveness is like the only way to address it. But what are some other ways that we address these injustice gaps? Yeah. So uh, one of the ways, uh, one that's not a Christian way of doing it is, I could just eliminate my sense of injustice if I got successful revenge on this person. Mm -hmm. It's not really a Christian, you know, strategy here because <laughs> that's going to provoke the other person to then get revenge back on me. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to lead to a kind of a social back and forth that's probably just going to get worse. Yeah. There, are, there are a lot of uh, ways to deal with injustice that are biblically consistent that mm -hmm. don't involve forgiving. So, for example, we know that God is a God of justice. Mm -hmm. So if I saw justice happening, if I, you know, believe that uh, uh, this person robbed me, they got caught, they got tried, they got sentenced, uh, you know, uh, what happens is my sense of injustice is just going down, you know, lower and lower. Uh, another way that I could deal with this uh, injustice gap is I could just turn it over to God. Mm. 
Well, that's certainly consistent with uh, Christian uh, scripture. So, uh, you know, I, I turn it over to God. And, and people do this in a couple of different ways. I, I remember being in South Africa and meeting with some survivors of a, a, a massacre that happened there where uh, terrorists threw explosives into a church that was worshiping one Sunday morning. And, and there were over 100 people that were injured or killed in that uh, in that massacre and uh, i remember they as a as a you know set of individuals all had the same response and that was you know we don't hold unforgiveness against those people who did this because we've turned it over to god mm. now some of them basically were saying we've turned it over to god and god is going to zap them you mm. know divine justice is what we're relying on but other people just said you know this is not mine vengeance is you know not mine it's the lord's and i'm just going to relinquish this to god this is not my problem this is god's you know uh uh, divine uh problem so so besides, uh, you know, uh, there's kind of two ways of, of uh, turning it over to God to appeal to divine justice or just to relinquish it. Yes. Another way that I could deal with injustice is to forbear. Mm. Forbearance is different than forgiveness. You know, Paul in Colossians says at one point, forgiving them and forbearing. That's right. That's yeah. right. He makes a distinction. So if I forbear, that means I, I refuse to, you know, to to hold this against them. I, I refuse to uh, uh, respond in a negative way for the sake of harmony in the group. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's forbearance. So in in Eastern cultures, like in China, Hong Kong, places like that, Forbearance is really the go-to option. You know, a lot of these places that have not had a Christian background for 20, 30, 40 years, uh, forbearance for the sake of group harmony is the way that they deal with injustices. And if, if they were to confront the injustice and push for justice, that, that, wouldn't, that would be very stressful for them. Yeah. Yeah. Where for us, you know, uh, in the United States, we sometimes think uh, just not responding, you know, that's just going to make things worse. Mm. So culturally, it, it all depends on kind of where you are. But yeah. forbearance is another way to deal with with uh, injustices. Yes. Why would we choose forgiveness you you make the point in your writings that forgiveness is a choice so i want to i want to approach that first do people have to forgive well that's uh you know of course a a really good question and uh you know i'd say uh, i'd say yes and no (laughs) (laughs) it says i am a universe Certainly, okay. you know, so we can't give a straight answer to anything. Right, right. So, you can stroke your beard and yes or no, right? <laughs> but uh, 
so we know, of course, that uh, Jesus, when he's talking to, to the disciples hmm. uh, in the Lord's Prayer, or the disciples' prayer, he, he says, you know, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those uh, who trespass against us. And then that is the phrase that he goes on to explain. So in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, for if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your father in heaven, it's right. you. but if you do forgive your father in heaven, will forgive you. Now, I think the, the important point here for us as Christians is this is instructions to disciples. Yes. So we're not talking about salvation here. Mm. You know, otherwise we could control whether God forgave by just forgiving everybody else. So, you know, clearly that's not what's meant. This is more about what in other places in scripture gets called the great white throne of judgment or the believer's judgment. So this is more about the acts of believers that are judged and burned up as straw or hay or stubble or treated as, depending on the nature of the act, as uh, gold or silver, precious stones. Yeah. So, so Jesus is, is making the point, you know, you should forgive. Yes. But again, I think that what this really applies to is if this situation has gotten to the place where the person is harboring that root of bitterness mm. talks about, you know, in our heart, this is not just dealing with an injustice. So uh, an injustice happens to me. I've got plenty of biblically consistent ways to deal with it. Yeah. You know, turn it over to God, you know, forbear, what, whatever. But if I have, if I've let this marinate and, you know, turn it into bitterness and unforgiving, an unforgiving heart, then I think, you know, we are uh, called to forgive. I, I think something else that I'd like for you to uh, kind of flesh out for us a little bit is you note as I did as I noted some of your colleagues also uh, expressed forced forgiveness doesn't stick that uh, forgiveness that is the result of a choice is really the sustainable route uh, versus feeling like oh no if I don't forgive you know I'll be lost eternally if I don't forgive then I am doing harm to myself or I'm not, you know, providing opportunity for this relationship to be made better. Um, how do we go about making that choice? And maybe this is a place where you could also help us understand the difference between decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness. How do we think through that? So we believe really that there are two separate types of forgiveness. Mm. So a lot of people will, will want to put them together and say, oh, these are two halves of forgiveness. Not, not really. I think these are two different experiences. And uh, one of those is to make a decision about how I intend to treat the person who has harmed me. I'm going to treat them as a valued and valuable person, a person created in God's image. Um, 
and I am not going to get even with them. I am going to, you know, make a decision to treat them in a different way. Now, notice this is not really behavior. This is an intention about my behavior because I couldn't make that decision that I'm going to treat this person very differently. And the person gets hit by a car tonight when they die, you know, so did I not forgive? Oh no, I did forgive because I made a decision about my intention to treat them differently. Yes. So, so that's one part. And I, I happen to believe that that's what Jesus was really talking about in the Lord's prayer that he was talking about making a decision to treat this person who has harmed me, treat them differently. Yes. But I could, I could make that decision. And, and yet every time I think about the person, I just get really hurt and resentful and, you know, feel damaged. Uh, and I have a lot of negative emotions toward this person mm -hmm. even though i made a sincere decision to forgive and carry it out for the rest of my life i could still have emotional unforgiveness mm. so that suggests there's a second type of forgiveness and that's emotional forgiveness mm -hmm. in which i i work to get those emotions mm. down. Yeah. so this is uh, the emotional replacement of negative, mm. unforgiving emotions with positive, other-oriented emotions. Mm. So, so is this where empathy begins to play a role of some kind? Right. So uh, one of those emotions is empathy. Uh, you know, if I get in the shoes of the person, try to think about why might they have done this and... You know, if I think about myself and think, well, I've hurt people and I didn't set out to ruin their life, but it, it went south someplace, yeah. you know, then, uh, uh, you know, I, I can give the other person the, the benefit of the doubt a little bit more uh, often. So empathy is one of the emotions that can replace the, the negative, unforgiving emotions of resentment and bitterness. Mm -hmm. but a second uh, emotion that could be used to replace it might be sympathy. Mm. I feel like, no, I can't ever understand how anybody could do something so terrible as this yeah. person did to me. But I can still get to the place where I say, you know, but I feel sorry for them. Okay. In fact, I feel beyond sympathy. I feel compassion for them. I, I would like to bless and not curse them, you mm. know, and, and that is a, a more compassionate stance and that compassion can change my, uh, uh, you know, my uh, emotional state too. The other uh, emotional replacement emotion is, uh, is love. Mm. So this could be agape love, uh, but it also could be romantic love. This happens all the time where partners in love hurt each other. And yet, you know, they gear up their feelings of romantic love and that replaces the negative unforgiving emotions. Yes. Yeah. Now, 
I might, I might also say that this could also be God's sovereign intervention. Mm. You know? So it doesn't have to be that in order to get emotional forgiveness, I just grit my teeth and try to replace the, the emotions. You know, the Holy Spirit can change my emotions and, uh, you know, and, and undo some of those negative emotions, replacing them with more positive love toward this person. So, so this is not a matter of, you know, works that I do. Uh, it can be, you know, works that I do, just like in James, you know, it talks about faith without works is dead. But it can also be grace that does too, and uh, and mercy, where God just has mercy on on uh, me, a sinner, and, uh, and chooses to to intervene in my life. So, so there's a lot of uh, ways that that emotional replacement could take place. Yes. So maybe maybe one of the we might be able to relate to. Is where we read a story of um, some family that has been uh, the victim of a heinous crime. And then in some form or fashion, uh, the family members find some level of compassion toward the perpetrator. Uh, and sometimes even in some form or fashion, uh, uh, plead on their behalf. Uh, but I'm not hearing you say the condoning or somehow the diminishing of the initial uh, hurt, but the replacement of the emotion of just something that ends up uh, being what I'm hearing you say, a, a positive replacement, which can include things like sympathy and compassion and even, and even love. Right. So, you know, so for this is clearly not saying that what you did is right. It's not condoning what was done. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, it wouldn't be forgiveness if I didn't admit that it was wrong. <laughs> there would be nothing right. different, you know, so, so, it, and that's something that comes up as people talk about forgiveness, which is different than forgiving, you know, uh, some uh, people will, um, it, it, well, some people will say, um, I forgive you, you know, and they don't, they're, they're, they're just setting you up to stab you in the back. So, uh, so anyway, what we say is not necessarily the experience of forgiveness. Yes. Yes. You know, you're making me think about a, a an example in scripture esau son of you know uh, uh, isaac uh, clearly thought of there is an injustice gap you know that his brother had greatly wronged him and when we later in the story that the two brothers are now mature in their families and mature in their belongings and they're going to meet. And Jacob is very, very afraid, uh, believing that his brother holds this injustice gap uh, and that his response to the injustice gap is going to be a negative. 
uh, only to discover that a great work, a spiritual work has taken place in Esau and not uh, holding that against his brother and in fact seeks to uh, benefit his brother and to protect his brother and help his brother. And uh, it, it moves me when you bring up this idea that sometimes what we may discover is that God has just done a very huge work of grace in a circumstance, whether it's someone forgiving us or us forgiving uh, someone. And uh, that, that becomes, a, a, you know, a, a liberating and very powerful. How have you kind of navigated your scientific work that you've done, marrying it with your deep convictions about the work of Christ. How have you brought those two together? Because uh, w- one of our, um, uh, one of my friends who uh, knows of your work very well said, if you live two lifetimes, you would never read everything that Dr. Worthington has written. And a few things I thought, yes, this is probably true. But you have brought your spiritual life and your scientific research, you've brought them to bear uh, together. What are, what are some of the surprises that you've seen in your university work when you've brought forth that this uh, life of virtue and uh, the concept of forgiveness are actually key to health and to society and to the betterment of humanity you've experienced along the way? Well. You know, I I think uh, I I've always felt like there really wasn't much conflict between uh, religion and and science. Uh, I guess I was uh, really influenced a lot by C.S. Lewis and in, in my early time, and uh, and so you know I felt like well if science is about what's true and God is about what's true, then there ought to be, you know, they ought to be talking about truth, the same thing. Now, science is done by humans, and so it can make mistakes. Mm. And theology is done by humans. And so, unfortunately, theologians can make mistakes. You know, and and do, and uh, you know, otherwise there'd only be one denomination. But there's, you know, miles <laughs> things like so. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, we have to have humility to mm-hmm. be able to bring these two things together. Yes. I think that's been really one of the surprises. Is mm-hmm. is that um, forgiveness is not out there all alone as the lone ranger virtue. Mm. Uh, it's it's like all of these virtues that go into the formation of a Christian character are interrelated with each other. And forgiveness is, is related to humility. Can you flesh that out for us a little bit? Talk about how humility influences forgiveness? Well, and, and vice versa, but, uh, you know, if, if, I, um, if I'm humble, you know, then we believe that there are four different characteristics of humility. So one of those is to be aware of 
and you know present uh, a, a uh, accurate assessment of your uh, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Not too high, not too low, just an accurate assessment. Second, we need to be motivated to be teachable, to be uh, someone who wants to correct the weaknesses and wants to learn more about how to be more virtuous. Third, we need to present ourselves modestly. Mm. And fourth, the, the characteristic that really makes it uh, Christian humility as opposed to uh, uh, a kind of a more secular humility is that we need to be oriented toward others in a way to lift them up and not, you know, put them down. Yes. So what we have is, you know, we have... Paul's great uh, hymn to humility in, in Philippians where, you know, he says, have this mind among you that is the mind of Christ, that mm -hmm. who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So he lays down his life. And, and this is the king of all <laughs> creation mm -hmm. that we yeah. have. And, yeah. and you have to understand also, this is to Philippians. And if you remember in Acts, when Paul was in Philippi, you know, he has this, this time where he's in jail because yeah. he's disrupted commerce. And, you know, and they're doing exactly what I'm sure we would all be doing in jail. <laughs> singing hymns and praising God. You know, I know I probably might not have been doing that at midnight, but he is, and, you know, and then the jail springs open yes the philippian jailer looks and sees that the door's open and pulls his sword out to kill himself yes i don't know if that'd been me i might have said you know god has made a way <laughs> you know but that's not what paul did no paul laid down his life lifting others up instead of allowing this guy to self-destruct and yes. so when he then later writes this hymn to the Philippians. You know, this is in a just a local church, and that guy and his family who became Christians that night, you know, are probably listening to this letter, and everybody knows it, and they're saying, you know, that guy is can just talk. He's doing exactly what he should be doing. Yes, and I'm um, saying exactly what you know he did. He did. Yes. Yes. And it, it, it touches me. It touches me. I've never thought of this. I want you to know that. I've never made this connection before. This is very moving. I have never made this connection. And I think your words that I really want to hear more about is Paul didn't let this guy self destruct. Deep humility. Yes. And, and how does that connect with forgiveness? Yeah, so it, it's like, you know, if I have humility and I, I, I know who I am in Christ, and I know that the world doesn't res revolve around me, no matter how much I think it usually does, you know, it, uh, then, you know, and that fourth quality, if I am oriented to others to lift them up, <laughs> 
instead of put them down, yes. then the more humble I am, the more likely I, I want to be to say, I am not going to demand my rights of justice. You know, I don't want you to come and beg at my feet for my forgiveness. I want to give you a blessing, although that is probably going to be hard for me to do. Yeah. You know? So I, I but I, it's going to have it's going to have impact in the heavenlies. You yeah. know, it's going to be a loosening uh, where I had the power to bind this person in the heavenlies, but by forgiving them, I can set those chains free from them and I can lift them up instead of putting them down or leaving them bound. Yes. So, so I think that, you know, humility is, you know, really kind of a central uh, 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 virtue that um, really it has an impact on uh, lots of different virtues. Yes. And I hear a profound, you know, this is helping because that injustice gap, uh, sometimes uh, the nature of what created the injustice gap is uh, unsolvable. Uh, someone was uh, disabled or injured or even killed. Um, someone was uh, abused in such a way that there's no one doing, there's just no one doing it. It's not a bump on a sidewalk, so to speak. But sometimes that injustice is so large that um, forgiveness can seem out of reach. But uh, uh, if I'm hearing you as well, that there is also an opportunity in that and unbinding, where uh, uh, I think Jesus's comment to Simon the Pharisee in regard to his criticism of the woman that came in and uh, washed Jesus's feet uh, with her tears, hair, and Jesus gives that illustration of the the two debtors, you know, one that owed a lot and one that didn't owe as much, you know, these these gaps, and yet neither one of them could close the gap on their own. It was going to take the forgiveness they owed uh, to release them. And um, I can personally recognize in my own uh, family life that it, it would be impossible to quantify the, the number of small expressions of forgiveness over all these decades of marriage and raising family uh, together, let alone a serving in the church family. Uh, I've often thought when people ask me, uh, what has it been like to stay at the same church for 24 years? And I tell them there are three great words that uh, describe it, kindness, forgiveness, and love. People have been astoundingly kind. They have uh, been and they have uh, ever increased their willingness, their intent. Uh, to love, and of course, we would feel like we were growing similarly along along with the church. You have developed uh, kind of some resources to help people navigate this. Uh, we have people watching who just this week have made decisions to uh, uh, forgive. They they've made a decision. They want to do this. I received emails this week. 
uh, one said, I believe God is doing a great work in my life. I'm ready to give this a try just this week. And so one of the ways connected was through learning about your resources that you have uh, uh, created. They're online. They're available for people. But you've broken this down uh, step by step to where people can actually just step work on this. So can you talk to us a little bit as we, as we close this first episode, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the processes, the steps that people can take uh, in the resources that you've uh, provided? We have, uh, over the years, developed and tested many times uh, a kind of a model that we call REACH Forgiveness. And that's because REACH is an acronym or an acrostic where R-E-A-C-H, each stands for a step in experiencing emotional forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Now, within the whole process, there, there are other things that have to happen, like defining what forgiveness is, decisional and emotional forgiveness, seeing that, you you know, we get a lot of personal benefits out of forgiving. That's not why Christians forgive. It's because, I mean, I can't ever myself say, oh, I'm going to forgive because it's going to make me feel healthier. It does, you know. You know, it's just like salvation, you know. It's like we get plenty of benefits. Yes from salvation but we don't say oh i know a great way to get some benefits to be healthier you know, or less mentally uh, troubled so uh so we have this five-step process to reach forgiveness and uh we have uh used it in the form of little uh groups that could be discussion groups or they could be you know kind of work through uh, the process in a psychoeducational group. These are free for people to lead. They're leaders' manuals and participant manuals, and anybody can uh, uh, can use those. They they don't cost anything. You don't need my permission. You, you know, it's explicit on the website. Just use it if it works for you. The other way that people have uh, found this effective is to do a, a do-it-yourself workbook. Mm. So we've uh, had three randomized controlled trials that show that people who use these workbooks can uh, you know, forgive. Uh, right now, we're in the midst of a six-country uh, trial with uh, Hong Kong, Ukraine, Indonesia, South Africa, um, Colombia, uh, two, two sites in Ukraine. So. Uh, so, you know, these wow. things are being used all over the world, and, uh, and people find them helpful. Yes. So, just kind of walk you quickly through the steps. I can say the steps very quickly, but the fact of the matter is, the longer a person tries to forgive, the more forgiveness they'll experience. So, uh, now sometimes, it just happens all at once. And sometimes we just see no, no progress and no progress. And then eventually it starts to move. But on the average, the more time that people spend, the more they'll forgive. Okay. So the first step is R to recall the hurt. 
that this is, you know, we can't forgive if we deny that we've been hurt or we refuse to face that we've been hurt. But if we keep playing it over and over the same way about what a jerk that person was for hurting me or how victimized I've been for, you know, have been hurt, um, we're not going to make any changes. So we need to recall the hurt in a way that helps us empathize or sympathize or feel compassion or love for the other person. So that's E, to emotionally replace the negative with the positive. We empathize first, and then, you know, if that doesn't work, we can move on to sympathy and and love. A is then to give an altruistic or a selfish gift, because we can choose to give that gift. Yes. It'll hard but uh, often but uh, we can give that gift and then c is to commit to the forgiveness that i experience mm. the reason that we do that is because you know we can have a an experience of forgiveness and as soon as we get out of the situation again we start doubting ourselves yeah but if we make some kind of commitment to ourselves, maybe we write ourselves a note or we go through some kind of ritual, like in groups, we have had people write down an offense that they have offended, pin it to the cross. Yes. Uh, there's a guy down in Florida that uh, uh, had people gather these smooth stones and, uh, and write on the stone something like, you know, betrayal or whatever is a key word that they're forgiving. And he called it the first stone intervention. You know, let him who is, you know, uh, without saying cast the first stone. And so, so it's a ritual to help us remember. Yes. And the reason we commit by this kind of ritualistic way is so that we will H hold on to the forgiveness whenever yes. we're out. Yeah. So recall the hurt, empathize or other emotional replacement, altruistic gift, commit so that we hold on to the forgiveness we experience. Yes. I was touched by that. The two that just jumped off the page to me were the concept of the altruistic gift, uh, because sometimes what we're hoping for is that if we forgive someone, that there will be some immediate uh, feeling or reward, which may or may not uh, be possible or realistic, but it certainly can, it would, you know, derail the forgiveness if that was my expectation. But, and then the final one, hold, you know, hold on, because you're right. Uh, you offer that, but then times of doubt or struggle or pain or, or maybe some memory that uh, uh, re-traumatizes uh, us. Can go with that again? And so that was very moving. And what I want to do then is I want to close this first session uh, for our listeners with uh, two things. First, we're going to pose a post uh, in the chat box here. We're going to post the uh, that they can go to to get uh, these access these resources. 
And uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to invite you, uh, Ev, in just a moment to let people know a little bit about that website. Uh, the second thing is, is you notice that um, Ev has shared with us here is uh, this could be a do-it-yourself where you go to work on this on your own, but this is also something that people are doing in groups. Uh, and so one of the things that we might together is would it be possible for people that are participating in this podcast to reach out to each other and just say, hey, what would you think of looking at this material, uh, putting a group together, and helping us walk through free? Uh, what is the website that they're going to be looking to uh, have uh, to find this material? Well, of course, it's www. We wouldn't go any place without that. <laughs> and then it's evworthington forgivenesscom So e v w o r t h i n g t o n forgivenesscom Beautiful, beautiful. Well, we're excited about this. I want to give people a little taste of where we're going to go next in our second episode. A uh, couple of things. This is National Recovery Month, and this is such an essential component of recovery. Uh, we recognize that on the journey of recovery from addiction, the journey to forgive self, the journey to forgive others, and of course, the hope to receive forgiveness for, from, uh, from others is all uh, woven into the fabric of, of uh, living a sober life and to be able to, to live into the freedom from addiction. And so we are uh, purposefully focusing on this during Recovery Month to address that. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking about the difference, the similarity and the difference between forgiving self and forgiving others. And Dr. Worthington is going to walk us further through the process of forgiveness. So, uh, Ev, thank you so much for joining us for the Love First podcast. It is so exciting to have you. And uh, thank you all who have joined us uh, for this first episode. And we look forward to seeing you again with Dr. Worthington as we talk about forgiveness. Thanks, Don. Love first, I know.